But today we arrive at Lord's Day 43 in the Heidelberg Catechism, which is just question and answer 112 concerning the Ninth Commandment. Let's read this responsibly. What is God's will for you in the Ninth Commandment? That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid, under penalty of God's wrath, every kind of lying and deceit, as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. We've heard God's word summarized and confessed. Now let's ask for his help to understand. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to look upon us in grace as we look away from ourselves into the face of your Son, whom you have appointed as our mediator and Savior. As all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in your Son, guide us by your Holy Spirit into the true understanding of the doctrines of Christ. May our meditation upon his truth Produce in us the fruit of righteousness to the glory and exaltation of his name, the instruction and edification of this congregation, and the salvation of the lost through our witness. We pray this in the name and favor of your well-beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and in dependence on his Holy Spirit, and all the people of God set together. Amen. Sociologists have called our current age the information age, since uh, probably about the mid-1970s or so, as people look back and uh, see all the technology that's now before us and, and how all kinds of facts, any fact you need, just bare information, is always at your fingertips now. Especially now that we have computers, you know, like on our phones, and you, the, the, there's search engines of every stripe. You can look up anything at any time, uh, day or night, and you always have some kind of fact at your fingertips. And that even though we've got all this information at our fingertips, we tend to hear more in our day and age about misinformation and disinformation, whatever the difference is there, and fake news and deep fakes and on and on this goes. This is one of the great problems of our day. Uh, threatens uh, our conception of truth in the public square. It has threatened our elections in one way or the other. It threatens our sensibilities online when we're engaging online. So though we are in an age of information, we still have some big troubles in actually seeing what the truth is. In fact, maybe more than ever, as a a major culture, as a Western culture, that had some things just kind of down, just laid down in cement as uh, the truth. Even those things are now up for grabs. So the more now that we have all this information at our fingertips, we seem to be more confused than ever about what the truth actually is. Well, at a broad level, truth is whatever is in line with reality. Reality. That's a really big category as we think about truth. What is what is reality? If we can't see it or we've misconstrued it or we are opposed to it, then we are stepping away from the truth and toward deceit and dishonesty. 
Reality is defined by God. Reality is defined by God. And so no matter what we tell ourselves, uh, we're not actually in control of reality. We don't, we don't create reality. We are actually supposed to submit to reality, discern it and submit to it. It comes from God. In an, in an important sense, because God is truth, God is also reality. He is the, the, the great real thing that everything else derives from. Uh, now, that's, that's just the simple facts of the case. There's some information for you. God is reality, and he dictates what is reality and therefore what is true. Those are the facts of the case. And uh, so either that's the truth that God dictates, or that's not true and uh, truth is just up for grabs. The ninth commandment, which is you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, that commandment, like all the commandments, is grounded in God himself. It is one of the commandments of his law because it proceeds from the God who is truth and who defines reality for us. To tell a lie in any way, whether it's an all-out lie or it's just a twisting of reality, uh, to tell a lie is to go against God himself and his reality. And so today we're going to see what needs to be the case of us on the opposite end of the spectrum. Instead of walking in the direction of deceit, what does it mean instead to uphold God's truth? To uphold God's truth. Well, first, upholding God's truth means recognizing falsehood and its source. Recognizing falsehood and its source. At the beginning of things, God created everything good. And so it was good and it was beautiful and it was true. There was nothing that deceived the senses of Adam and Eve. What God made was true. And what they discerned from what he had made was true. Lies began, deceit began with Satan in the garden. In that terrible moment uh, when he shows us that, Satan himself shows us that falsehood begins with either a twisting of or an opposition to God's word. That's, that's the... That's the genesis of deceit, is when God's truth and his reality is either twisted or opposed altogether. And that's, a, that's Satan's strategy, actually, in the garden. He takes kind of a half step and then a full step. At first, he merely twisted the truth of God's word. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, did God actually say? Did he actually say? That is to place some kind of doubt about uh, reality in, in the hearts and minds of Adam and Eve. It is only after this that he then directly contradicts God in verse 4. No, you will not surely die. No, God said the opposite. Now Satan shows that he is fully opposed to truth. Why, why did Satan do this? Now the further back you go in that question, we're in the realm of mystery. We don't understand why this happened. But there are some causes that we... Uh, that we see here. Jesus later reveals in our reading from John chapter 8, verse 44, that dishonesty is the devil's very character. It's who he is. So that's one answer to the question. Why did Satan do this? It's just who he is. As God is in himself truth. So the devil is falsehood and uh, deceit. It is at the very core of Satan's identity. 
he, he can't help himself but to push against reality. And namely the reality that God alone is creator and that he's king. The devil can't stand that. Well, even though we are the children of God, if you have faith in Christ and now you belong to God, uh, we still can speak falsely and not hold the truth. We cannot uphold God's truth as we ought to. But when we do this, we're actually acting as children of the devil, though we are the children of God. It is to put us out of step with the reality of things, the nature of things. And this is part of Jesus' point in John chapter 8. He basically says that those who are born of the Father love the truth, whether it offends their sensibilities or not. If you love the Father, then when truth is presented to you, you will love that truth, especially as it is taught by and embodied by Jesus himself. And so to push against truth, to twist it, to oppose it altogether, is to oppose Jesus and reality altogether. Bill Bookestein is a URC pastor in Michigan. He's been writing a really great weekly series of articles on the Heidelberg Catechism for Core Christianity. If you're not familiar with that, it's a radio show, and they have a great website as well. So he's been going Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And here's what he says on this particular Lord's Day. He says, we imitate the devil when we suppose we can manipulate reality to our own advantage. Every malicious lie has Satan's accent. That's a great word from uh, Reverend Bookestein. Every malicious lie has Satan's accent. And, and Bookestein implies here that malicious lies, you know, the out, all, all out opposition to God's word, that's not the only way that we imitate the devil. Um, we do it when we give false testimony of one kind or another. Whether it's more formally in court or perhaps in church proceedings, you know, that happens sometimes. Um, in the writing of contracts, you know, we have all kinds of exchange of goods that take place in uh, the public square. And when we, when we uh, bear false testimony when it, when it comes to writing contracts, that's an imitation of the devil. When we give false testimony more informally, just in conversation by misreporting something that has taken place in the life of another. Or speaking up when we shouldn't at all about someone else and their reputation. We do it when we tell a lie, no matter how small. We come up with categories like little white lies to make ourselves feel better. But no, it's actually pushing against reality and therefore is opposed to God. We do it when we manipulate someone's emotions in order to get our own way. That is a kind of bearing of false witness. Because manipulation is not submitting to God's reality. It is trying to make reality for yourself. We do it when we sideline the reputations of our neighbors and speak ill of them when it's not deserved, or perhaps when it is deserved, but badly timed. Uh, maybe it is not your reputation to ruin or to uh, contribute to its ruining. And uh, I pinpoint this one um, in particular because it has to do with minding our own business, which is actually a biblical command. Paul says this in First Thessalonians. We mind our own business and live quiet lives. That's uh, one of the mark of Christians in, in our obedience is that, um, you know, this isn't talking about being involved with people's lives and wanting to know them and love them and pray for them, but rather being busybodies and meddling and 
learning things and seeking out information about people's lives that are not our business at all. I pinpoint this one because this is often behind the sin that is very accepted and practiced without many repercussions at all in small towns like ours. Uh, this is the sin of gossip and, and, and all of its forms. But it is falsehood. It is, it is a kind of aligning of yourself with the devil, the father of lies, to speak about people. Because people's reputations are important in God's sight. And as Christians, we are to uphold them in whatever way that we can. Uh, this is so obvious that it's almost, it's almost uh, well, it's one of those things that's so obvious that we forget. That if we uphold this uh, command from God to love your neighbor as yourself and to do unto others as you would have them do to you, then why wouldn't we seek to uphold uh, our neighbor's reputation and to be slow to speak unless circumstances have uh, compelled us to do so? All of these are examples of falsehood. In each of their own ways, they twist reality or they oppose truth altogether. But it's not, it's not a little innocent thing. They, they come from the evil one. They're influenced by, they're sourced, by, sourced in the devil himself. And so we must learn to identify these tendencies toward falsehood in ourselves and know where they come from and put them off. That is the call of this commandment, is to put off this falsehood completely. Secondly, upholding God's truth means submitting to God's reality. Not only knowing what falsehood is, but now we know what reality is, that it comes from God, that truth comes from him, and now we submit to it. This is part of what it looks like to be renewed by the Holy Spirit. As we remember, that's what launches us into the Ten Commandments in our catechism. You've been uh, purchased by the blood of Christ. You're being renewed by the Holy Spirit. What does that renewal look like? It looks like submitting to the truth and putting off falsehood. And... Um, So we have to ask then, as we think about God's reality, what is truly real and therefore true, we ask what are the tenets of of that reality. Here are some. Some of the basic ones. One is that God has created the world in truth and in wisdom. This is what I was getting at when I said that when God created the world, there was nothing there to deceive Adam and Eve. And there was nothing in Adam and Eve to deceive themselves. What God made was to be taken in, and their interpretation of this world was good and was true. Nothing was there to twist it until the serpent came. Uh, So God has created everything in truth and in wisdom. And, And submitting to this reality means grounding ourselves in nature. There is a natural law which is embedded in this world. God has has created this world in an orderly manner. We can either go with the grain of reality and nature, or we can go against the grain. Uh, It is hard to believe many things that we see and read these days. And um, a good and a godly and a wise step toward truth begins here with this basic affirmation that God has created the world and he did so in truth and in wisdom. So we affirm the goodness of creation, we affirm the goodness of God who has made it, and we ground ourselves in nature. Another tenet of God's reality is that lies and deceit were not there in the beginning. God is not their author. He did not put things in the world to deceive us, but these things are intrusions into his good world. 
Lives are all around us. We succumb to them sometimes. Um, But that is not how it's supposed to be. And we have to remind ourselves of this because there's deceitfulness everywhere, including in our own hearts. It's not how it's supposed to be. It's not how it always was. Not at the beginning. Uh, Submitting to this reality means that we tell the truth even when it is unpopular, even when it is difficult, even when it is dangerous. Because we are to be people of the truth. Lovingly, yes. Humbly, yes. But we must tell the truth. Because that pushes against this intrusion of lies and deceit in God's good world. Perhaps one more tenet we could speak of is uh, that the new creation will be a place of truth. Indeed, it is a place of truth. It just has not come down in its fullness yet. Um, This is part of God's reality, and we have to hold to this. Truth reigned as supreme at the beginning, and it will again. It will again one day. So, though we we find ourselves sometimes drowning in dishonesty, that will be completely done away with in the end. Our reading in Zechariah chapter 8 was a prophecy of the new creation. Uh, And what we find there is that the new Jerusalem which is the kingdom of God in its fullness, that place is a place of peace and prosperity. And here's what God's people will do in it. Here's what we read. These are the things you shall do. Okay, this is what characterizes the new creation. These are the things you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. That's talking about truth in the public square. You know, good judgments being made. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oaths, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. These are some of the tenets of the reality of God. And uh, what we basically traced here is the arc of God's story in redemption. When God created things, there was truth. And if there's lies in the world, it's because, as we've said, those are intrusions into this good world. But he will not leave it in this state. That's part of the hope of the gospel for us, is that the lies that have put us in bondage. um, As Jesus says, if you sin, then you're in bondage. Deceit and sin are are deeply connected. And that that sin, that that, uh, those lies, rather, that have placed us in bondage will finally be done away with. He has created all things in truth. We have wrecked it by our sins. But truth has always had a place in this world. And it is especially shined forth wherever God's word is cherished. And wherever God's word is passed on. And where these things happen, and it's primarily to happen in the church of Lord Jesus Christ, wherever it happens, truth stakes its claim. And this has happened through Jesus Christ who calls himself the truth. He says in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the embodiment of that great attribute of God, that he is true and he is truth itself. And to be a child of God, therefore, means loving and clinging to Christ. It means turning away from falsehood. It means asking for forgiveness for the ways that we believed false things, spoken false things, and the like. And we do so with the hope that the, the truth of Jesus covers us. It covers our tendency toward falsehood. And he forgives this tendency and this, uh, 
this penchant for twisting God's reality. Once that's the case, once we have been covered by the Savior, who is the truth, then we must put on the new self. And the new self that has been remade in the likeness of Jesus Christ loves and lives and tells the truth. In other words, this is our third point, upholding God's truth means putting it into practice. Putting it into practice. We, we read from the famous love chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And one of the chief expressions of Christian love is described like this. And th- this, this is keeping in mind that uh, Paul says the greatest of the Christian virtues is love. Okay? The greatest of the Christian virtues is to love. Now here's one of those great expressions of love. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When God claims us as his own, when we become his children, then our lives begin to have a different purpose. No longer is it self that is at the center of the universe, which is fundamentally a dishonest orientation. You know, that's, that, that is a, an, un, an inability and unwillingness to submit to God and his reality when we have the self as our ultimate purpose. It's no longer that when God claims us as his own. And so no longer will we want to twist reality to get what we want. Instead, we orient ourselves around God who helps us to love him and to love others. The orbit changes. We now orient ourselves, we orbit around God himself, and his love is to to spill out to our neighbors as well. So put God's truth into practice. Don't resist, but believe his truth in whatever form it takes, no matter how offensive it is to your sensibilities. Don't resist, but believe his truth. Not just believe, but seek out the truth by resisting the urge to make rash judgments against your neighbors. We so often do not know the full story when it comes to our neighbors. And so we we must resist the urge to make rash judgments against them, especially in our online engagements. Promote the truth lovingly by protecting your neighbor's reputation. And that means resisting the temptation to gossip and to contribute to rumors. Uh, We would rather stand silently and awkwardly than contribute to gossip. That would be a, a fundamental shift in the right direction for believers to be okay with awkwardness and silence rather than to perpetuate gossip. And beyond that, speak up in defense of others when you know they're being slandered. That is what it means to speak the truth candidly. These are some of the practices that the children of God willingly take up as those who have been purchased by the blood of Christ and are being renewed by his Holy Spirit. These practices affirm that God is truth and that we are willing to submit to his reality. These practices bear witness to his transforming grace in our lives, changing us from those who are self-deceived and self-oriented to those who have believed and embraced the truth and are now willing to love others with it. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, you build your church on the foundation of the doctrine of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so we pray that you would bless our congregation to grow in their teaching. Assist us in meditating with joy on your mighty acts 
enlighten our minds more and more with the light of the everlasting gospel. Kindle in our hearts a love of your truth. Nourish us with the full counsel of the word of God. Enable us to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints and defend us from the sins of heresy and schism. And as we have heard the truth, the true doctrine proclaimed to us, by your great blessing may it be preserved among us and propagated through us by our lips and our lives to the glory of the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.